Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm Simon Sweetman. This is episode 82. I had a conversation with Wayne Bell. Wayne Bell is one of the country's greatest drummers, greatest session players. He's a producer, a multi-instrumentalist, a, a composer for film and TV projects. Um, he's also, I would say, humble almost to a fault and regularly talked about as one of the nicest guys working in music, one of the nicest guys you could meet. All of that, I think, is absolutely true. Um, I've met Wayne a couple of times. We've corresponded a bit too over the years. I remember when I first met him, uh, was, I think, uh, maybe five or six years ago, and um, I, was, I was kind of... Uh, awestruck to meet this guy because he's just played on so many records and so many tours so if you don't know the name uh you you'll know his playing you'll you'll have heard him on things he's on uh you know played on big tours and records by people like Beck Runger, Greg Johnson, Tim Finn, um, the Finn uh, Runger Dobbin tour, the When the Cat's Away tour, which is in a way kind of where it also all started from but um some some sort of um less mainstream left of um you know, left field sort of things, some Flying Nun stuff, that, that great album um, by that band Bike, uh, he played on a lot of that, um, These Wilding Ways, uh, yeah there's just heaps of stuff that he's done and and um, he sort of started off as a jazzer, he was way into jazz and um, I only found this out, that I mean the, I'm not spoiling anything because the podcast starts with this, but I only found this out the, um, the day I was going to talk to him, I had a quick read through the audio audio culture feature again uh, about Wayne, which I'll link to. It's good good background, and um, he and I sort of shared a, a jazz mentor, you know, years apart without knowing it. So there's this wonderful guy Neil Toddy who I think was in Auckland for a while, obviously, but ended up in Napier, and that's how I got to know him. And he was the the teacher of my school jazz band and of a, a, a drama school music course that I took, and. Um, yeah, so it was fun to talk to, to, to Wayne about that because uh, this guy Neil was, I think, pretty influential and instrumental in a lot of people's lives around jazz. Certainly for me, you know, he, he probably tolerated my very heavy-handed bad playing but understood on some level that, you know, I had a passion and a knowledge for the genre. I actually had a bit of a clue about uh, what this stuff was and I was, I was into it and I was still just a school kid but I was really, really hooked on jazz and he gave me some great... Uh, names to you know records to to follow concert films to watch names to check out um, and so we, we used to have some great conversations and it was cool to hear that Wayne had essentially the same, the same kind of story although obviously on another level Wayne actually played in in Neil's band as a, as a teenager so um, that's where we start and from there we go all over the place and talk about uh, as many of the things as we can we probably leave out quite a bit because this guy's CV is pretty pretty huge pretty tremendous but uh, the other thing is Wayne and I, yeah, we've, we've probably talked about doing this podcast for, uh, you know, two or three years. It's obviously hard to hook up with people in Auckland. I need to, to go up there or catch them at the right time when they're in Wellington. And, and, and that's happened a bit. But um, in this case, it was worth waiting for. And um, I had a lovely chat, as I always do, uh, with Wayne Bell. And I hope you'll enjoy listening to this too. This is me chatting with uh, Kiwi session drummer to the stars, um, member of the Bads currently, uh, producer, multi-instrumentalist, um, working currently with Jan Hellregal on her new album, and uh, yeah, all these long-standing relationships, he has people like Greg Johnson, Jan, uh, Tim Finn, Diane Swan, he's worked with them on and off, or all regularly for years and years and years, so you'll get to hear a bit about all of that, uh, and a whole lot more, this is me talking with Wayne Bell. Your CV is so <laughs> huge, 
<laughs> that I have I have come almost entirely unprepared or underprepared for this. I want you to, to, to steer this in some way. But then I've had a quick read of something today and I realised one maybe we'll start here. One thing that we have in common is and there are a few things I reckon, um, but one thing we have in common is one of our we share a sort of jazz mentor in Neil Toddy. You know Neil Toddy? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And oh, so I didn't know I, that. Exactly. And I was thinking, and I hadn't sort of thought of his name for a while. Yeah. And when I read it in, in one of your profiles, and it talked about you know him being a, a, a sort of a guy who turned you on to a lot of jazz, I was like, same. Absolutely, yeah. I was in Napier um, oh, two or three weeks ago, mm. and I thought, I wonder if Neil is still here. I was mm. thinking of him there. Yeah. And then my dad gave me um, gave me a photo uh, when I saw him the other day, and it's of me playing when I was like seventeen years old, mm. and obviously playing jazz because mm. I, I'm I'm playing you know standard grip, and uh, and looking at the ride symbol with uh, with great concentration, and I thought that's in Neil's mm. house, and we were mm. yeah playing so, something, so. My, my kind of first attempt at having a job in journalism for the CV was in my final year of high school. Um, I got given this role, um, publicity officer for the National Youth Drama School. Yeah. And they basically just wanted a student journalist to work for free. And I happily did that, thinking this is going to be you know, really great, great for me. And this was back where I was basically handwriting articles and mailing them to newspapers for newspapers to type up <laughs> and put out and so I got given this bunch of CVs of all of the tutors mostly actors um, but Neil Toddy was in charge of the what was called I think music and film or it was a music course okay and um, and my and uh, his CV was a an envelope that you opened and it had two pieces of square like almost like post-it sized paper with a staple in the middle of them and he had handwritten a bunch of things on it and that was a CV. <laughs> it was just two, it was like, like he'd jotted it down by the phone yeah. and then gone, I better staple these two bits together, you know, so it looks slightly professional. Yeah. And that was his CV and you know, and it had like musical director, Q theatre, musical director of something else, yeah. know, big band, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that was it. And I, I was actually playing in the school jazz band, so I knew the heat which he took, so I knew him. And then my payment for that, for, for doing all that work, was that I got to choose one of the courses and do it for free, which, which was frightening to me because I hate drama. Yeah, yeah. It's not my thing. So, and then, but then when I saw this, oh, I'll do this music and theatre course. And it was basically me and Ben Fulton and a couple <laughs> of other pe people just... just Hanging out and jamming with Neil for a week, so it was fucking awesome. Wow! And we and and, yeah. and you know we we would just play like our Led Zeppelin and Faith No More covers and Lenny Kravitz and stuff like that. And then in the breaks, and then Neil would come in and show us like jazz on a summer's day, or you know one of those definitive yeah. jazz films, and talk a bit about it and show us this great footage of Coltrane and Thelonious and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that well, so that all just came flooding back to me when well, I that's read. That's amazing. Yeah. What a what a coincidence. Yeah. The, um, yeah, he was huge in my my becoming a jazz snob for quite a number mm. of years. Mm. Um, he he had this beautiful house in Puhoi and, and um, 
had built this studio loft area, mm. which was just gorgeous, and he had a giant collection of um, jazz records, which uh, I didn't know anything about, and mm. he, he just, I'd go around there and we'd, we'd drink real coffee, which I'd never had mm. as a kid, you mm. know. Mm. Um, he'd, he'd make real coffee in a pot on the stove, mm. and we'd drink that and listen to jazz. Mm. And just all the stuff that I I didn't know existed um, put me onto you know uh, people like Horace Silver yeah um, oh just yeah. En endless amounts of yeah. stuff yeah and um, yeah and yeah great great mentor yeah yeah amazing just, guy just, just a real um, incredible knowledge right like yeah and, and 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 such a like one of those kind of like I, like I can I can I'm pretty sure I'm right in thinking that what he probably thought of me was that I was no great um, talent as a musician, but what he probably enjoyed about me was that I had this kind of thirst for knowledge yeah. about the stuff. So we got on really well. I mean, he had to he had to put up with me playing in the school jazz band in the final year, and what I kind of brought to that was that I loved jazz, and I probably loved jazz and knew more about jazz than a lot of the players in the band. But, yeah. but they all knew how to play. I didn't know. Yeah. How, I didn't know how to play. But somewhere in there, I could translate, you know, enough of a yeah. a feel and a, and a and a love for the playing. But I couldn't read charts, you know, and I couldn't I couldn't do the things that all the other players could yeah. do. Same here. I, I I still can't read charts. But um, uh, yeah, he would he would have felt the same about me. Someone someone to mould. Yeah. Maybe. Right. And um, so I played with him for a, for a few years, and mm. then. Uh, he got a little band together with Jim Langebeer, mm -hmm. um, great saxophonist, and um, and between Jim and Neil, uh, the, just this vast amount of knowledge, mm. and a drummer who knew nothing about jazz really, yeah, and a, a bass player who was similar, came from a rock background, and these guys wanted to play with us, mm. and it was amazing. I learned so much. Yeah. Well. Jazz was my starting point for drums in that my mum played me a Buddy Rich record mm -hmm. when I was nine or ten and it blew my mind and I, I wanted to know, I guess, how you did that. You know, yeah, like I, yeah. I could recognise that something was happening there that was above and beyond most other people. Yeah. And it wasn't that I wanted to be Buddy Rich, but I wanted to know how that sound was created and how, how drumming evolved to that level. So that's that's sort of what won me over. So if we go further back than Neil Toddy for you, what, what, how did you start? What got you hooked on the drums? Where did you grow up? What were you doing? What, what got you enthused in music? Yeah, well, I, I grew up in a, um, in a town called Walkworth, which is about 40 minutes yep. north of Auckland. And um, I was thinking about this this morning that you know, you read those things about uh, drummers who, um, uh, they say that at the age of two they started banging mm. on pots and mm. pans. And, um, they've always had this love for drums and rhythm. I, I don't think I ever mm. had that. Mm. Um, my older sister had a boyfriend who, um, he had a car which was a little Ford Anglia fat tyres and racing stripes down and stuff and he was a drummer and he, he would put his drums in that car yeah. and I'd see him driving around town and I just thought that was cool. about the coolest yeah. thing I'd ever seen yeah. and, and was, thought, he good? was he good? 
he was great, yeah. great player. Yeah. And I thought that's what I'm going to do. Mm. I drive around town in a cool car with that's drums in the back. And that, I think, was, that was the, the reason I got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I can't remember thinking, well, you, did you, I love drums did you and feel, I want to do that. Did you I, feel connected to music already? Like, were you a passionate music listener? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love songs and, you know, like seeing like Primer 2 report card or whatever it would say things like Wayne sings enthusiastically and right. stuff like that so yeah. you know I, I had that but and that come from your folks or siblings or anything or just no just, your own connection to yeah. what was on the radio or yeah, yeah I think so hmm. um, yeah there's there's not really music in our family apart from <coughs> sorry um my mother's uh, brother was a concert pianist and, and a mad Scientologist. Mm. Um, like there's another kind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he, um, he would spend his years um, cut into three parts. He would do abstract art for the first third of the year <clears throat> and then um, um, Scientology for all, all year round. Mm. And then he'd tour Europe um, as a concert pianist, so maybe I don't know something came from him. Mm. Not sure, mm. but um, yeah, it was a cool car and drums in the back. That's, <laughs> I thought that's what I'm now, gonna do. Now you can play more than drums, but drums are the first instrument and the main instrument for quite a while. Or do you no dabble? guitar? Right. Yeah, started playing guitar. Right. Um, and again, that's weird because uh, I don't remember learning it. Yeah, I just, I, I is it worked. an emulation thing again, like sitting down with the records and Maybe. trying to play along? Yeah, I just I don't remember anyone showing me how to play. Yeah, I just remember doing it somehow, yeah. being able to play. Yeah, yeah. So you what? You start playing drums as a teenager or just before? Just before, just yeah. Before preteen and you take it pretty seriously pretty quickly yeah you develop enough talent or enough and enough enthusiasm to go I'm gonna keep doing this mm. and you get you get some sort of result like some sort of effect from it you're pleased, yeah. pleased with doing it and it sounds yeah. good enough yeah the obsession sort of kicked in and um, uh, I didn't have a drum kit but the school had a mm. drum kit mm. and um, so I just play on that and uh, yeah, and, and like I say, the obsession sort of kicked in and yeah. and, um, uh, and something stuck and, and I must have, I must have, I don't know, I must have become reasonably proficient early on. So do you stay in Walkworth or do you move down to Walkworth? No, I was in Walkworth, Walkworth. Yeah. Um, but there were a few bands around of older guys who were playing in, mm. you know, pubs and um, dances and that sort of thing mm. and at sort of... 12 or 13 they were asking me to to do that stuff mm. so I was playing with guys in their 30s and 40s mm. playing all this music my dad would drive me to these yeah. like to the Kaiwaka pub or something yeah, yeah. when I was 12 yeah. <laughs> play a gig with these guys and um, so yeah it stuck it stuck pretty early on yeah. once I got into it yeah so what's the next I guess the next the significant thing is what we started talking about the Neil Toddy thing is the is the next really significant phase in yeah, terms yeah. of like getting this education and also 
playing with great players. Yeah. And you say you become like a kind of jazz snob. So that becomes your interest, your passion. Oh, yeah. Over everything else. Yeah. Yeah, it did. Um, to the detriment of, of listening to some mm. really great, you know, pop rock and roll music, music and yeah. pop music and stuff. Mm. But, um, but when I did start getting into pop But you music, found your way back to that. I did, yeah. Uh, I was listening to some stuff that was... You know, it's not a crossover, but it, it's kind of um, stuff like Steely Dan and yeah, Stevie yeah. Wonder and yeah, yeah. stuff where you can hear links the, to the play jazz. comes from jazz yeah. or, or is heading in that direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah. chords aren't just mm-hmm. you know this, mm-hmm. the oh the that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there was that stuff, and then later on, I started playing with these two guys up north, and and. Um, and they, they wanted to do covers by like the Clash and the Jam and and it was all this sort of um, uh, punk and new wave and that that sort of it was quite edgy stuff mm, you know mm. and um, and I was really really not into it when they suggested mm. it to me because I you know I thought I like jazz yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but um. Uh, I started doing it, and all of a sudden, like this whole world just opened up. It was mm. like, you know, the Clash, wow, or the Jam, you know, yeah, yeah. just blew my mind. And you get that thing happen too, where with with artists like that, where as a, and I'm sure it's the same with other instruments, but as a drummer, you can kind of just listen in for what the drummer's doing and go, and wow, you know, yeah. like, and the Clash is a great example of. Yeah. Even if I come and go with that music, but one thing I always love about The Clash is listening to the drummer because he's fucking amazing, yeah. right? So you can kind of just hone in on that, yeah, and then you develop a bit of a, a, a love for everything else that's going on afterwards. Yeah, there was just an, an energy about yep. that stuff that was yep. different to the energy that is generated in jazz. Yep. And, and gradually, I just sort of got a bit bored yep. with jazz. Mm-hmm. I got a bit bored with hearing a song and, you know, we're going to do um, On Green Dolphin Street or something mm-hmm. like that and they'll play the head and there'll be a saxophone solo and a, a piano solo and then, Yes, you know. it's, fu- it's funny how for, an, for, a, for a genre that is so reliant on improvisation, it can actually very quickly become very predictable yeah. and, and safe. Yeah. And that's what I do understand about when people say they have no real facility for jazz I can see why like if you know it all depends on how you're introduced to it too I think but yeah. I can see how people go yeah I just it's boring to me I don't yeah you know I, I, I don't feel that myself but I can totally see how someone can arrive at that well it became that way for me for for a long time it's not until in the last um, uh, 10 or 15 years that I've, I've kind of revisited right those records and, and yeah um, yeah, I'm, I'm, that love for jazz is starting, you know, it's, it's come back. You know, you find the right thing and it's pretty exciting though. And all yeah. That, you know, I was, this morning I was listening to a Jimmy Smith record that I hadn't ever heard. Mm. And it was recorded in 1916, it was released in 1963. And here I am in 2017 hearing it for the first yeah. time. Now I know Jimmy Smith and I know all of the players on that record from other records they've done. Um, but you know, fuck, it was really exciting yeah, yeah. to hear this thing and go, well, this might as well have been released in 2017 because that's Absolutely. when I'm hearing it. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, that is cool. Yeah. So I'm trying to think, what's the, what's the next sort of step for you? Because you, I mean, 
uh, I'm thinking about it from my listening. I don't know when I sort of discovered your name or playing or who you were, but all of a sudden you were on like every second record or tour in New Zealand for for a while, just about that. Yeah. I, you know, and I was thinking like you've got this. You occupy a space where you've played very broadly across so many so many styles. I mean, you're you're on. Um, you said so broadly or badly? No, broadly. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you, you know, there's a sort of, a, I guess, an Americana thing that you're doing, like with the bads and yeah, stuff yeah. now, And but you're on some Flying Nun records, yeah. you've got this jazz background, and then also you're on those, like, what would I say, like our, you know, those mainstream big name Kiwi pop records, mm. the the Finn Runger Dobbin tour, yeah. um, albums by Beck and uh, Tim Finn and, you know, and Cats Away and that sort of stuff that is... is you know, at one point was in everyone's face and in their ears. Yeah. But then you're doing these like kind of little niche side project type things as well. Yeah. So how did that all evolve? I mean, I, I guess what I'm we're talking sort of mid '80s onwards, really. Mid mid '80s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was playing around Auckland and and uh, yeah, playing in some pretty good bands. Yeah. Um, but it was when the cats away that. Um, that started it. Like, started it. Yeah. yeah. Just started playing with those girls and and because they were massive, right? Like, oh, I, I mean, I remember the big single, and I've talked to um, Debbie and you know, and I met yeah. Diane and stuff, and I've had some chats with her. But I was thinking about it. Like for me, it was really interesting talking to Debbie about just how big those shows were. Yeah. Like how there was like what a two to three year sort of window where everyone was going out to see this band yeah. in these pubs. Yeah, well, it, it started off in Auckland where the girls set it up because they they just wanted something that was a, a release for them mm. um, because they all had solo things going on. Mm-hmm. But there was like a video ban on New Zealand television um, for New Zealand releases around that time and it was really hard to get stuff heard and to get original music out there. And, and these girls were all struggling with that and thought, why mm. not? do a cover band thing mm. and just have some fun mm. and see how it goes. So we did a night at Wildlife down on the down on Key Street in the city. Um, queues around the block, mm. turned into four nights. Mm. Um, did the glue pot, turned into four nights. Uh, it just got huge real quick. Mm. Um, but having said that, we then went on the road for this huge tour, mm. like 36 days yeah, or yeah, something like that. Yeah. And the first gig was in um, uh, uh, New Plymouth, at the at the Bell Block of New Plymouth, I think. And, uh, you know, the crew were in there all day setting up, and we arrived on a bus and everything. Like a huge production, mm. about a giant queue of about eight people. And I think the total crowd was like 30-something <laughs> people for mm. the first show of the tour. And it was like, oh my god, what have we done? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, how, and how's this? Is it over? <laughs> yeah, is it over already? Is it just this huge thing in Auckland? Mm. And we're going to lose like millions of dollars on this tour. Mm. Um, that was the only gig that wasn't sold out in probably the whole of the existence of the band. Existence, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it was pretty crazy. Yeah. And um, then, because they, they, then they released the single. The, the melting the pot, melt, which, yeah, which, yeah. which sort of takes you know things to another level, right? Like in a way, like yeah. Well, was there a 
There was a live album before that, was there? I think think it was, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, Melting Pot was a a huge one. Yeah. Um, And that just kicked it off into all sorts of madness. Yeah. Um, And it was great fun, you know. Yeah. It it was an amazing thing to do. And... um, but always in the back of your mind, you, you have this slight sort of um, yeah. fe- uncomfortable feeling of uh, look out at 3,000 people going off and think, oh, we're a cover band, mm, you know? Mm, mm. Um, but, but it was more than a cover yeah, band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it was a great show. Um, but, yeah, that, that's kind of what kicked me off, I suppose. Mm. And um, playing with the guys in, in that band... Mm. Uh, yeah, because who else was it? it was, uh, Brett was playing. Brett, yeah. Adam started uh, started playing, and then I think he had a Mockers tour or something. Yeah. Uh, when the Melting Pot tour came round. Yeah. So he couldn't do it. Yeah. So we got in uh, Gary Verburn. Oh right, yeah. yeah. Uh, and Ross McDermott on bass, who's yep. Wellington. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's still in Wellington. Steve Larkins on keyboards. Um, Jay Folks on percussion. And uh, and the Newton Hoons, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, the horn section, and and that was the band. It was a real good band, mm. um, and people noticed that it was a good band, and we started to get work with uh, other artists because of that. So mm-hmm. we started working with uh, Dave McCartney, um, Mitch Marsden. Um, oh God, did some gigs with Tim Finn and. Uh, Pretty much just the whole unit. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. People would just go. Yeah, you know, we'll, we'll take we'll you. you. Yeah, <laughs> we'll use you. Yeah, and the brilliant thing is, like, you, you know, you, pro- you would have been covering some Tim Finn songs with Cats Away and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Absolutely, so you were yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So well versed in the type of material. Yeah. To the point that you'd even probably played some of the songs. Yeah. 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 The weird thing about that stuff is, you know, you play you play those songs with someone like When the mm. Cats Away or, or another cover band. And then you go off and you play with the real artists. Yeah. They do it so differently. Yeah. We, we did um, Be Mine Tonight. Uh, I played that with Dolan yeah. a million times. Yeah. And go and play it with this cover band one yeah. night. And um, they go on to this verse that I've never heard before. <laughs> and I, I stopped the band and said, yeah. no, 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 no. Just go straight into the chorus there. And they're like, no, it doesn't. There's a whole other verse. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm pretty sure it just goes straight into the chorus. Because that's the way we played it with Dave for yeah. years and years and years. Yeah. So, yeah, it's really bizarre. The other thing that I, I um, want to get you to talk about too, I guess, is, is um, and we'll come back to some more of that stuff, mm. but but you're, you're a guy who you seem to have developed these really long-lasting musical relationships with people. Mm. So, like, you've played with Diane for years. Yeah. So, starting with Cats Away and You're in the Bads, which which is her and Brett. And uh, Greg Johnson, we haven't talked about yet, but you've played with him for... 20-something years, on, yeah. On basically every album and probably every tour or every, you know... Yeah. Just about. Yeah. And, uh, and, and you know, Dobbin and Beck Rummer yeah. and... You know, all these people, uh, they're, they're sort of repeat projects for you and return customers and you've obviously built friendships. Yeah. Um, you, know, I, you know, I think that stuff comes from, you don't have to be a great player because, you know, I could, I could walk out on the street now and there'll be a, 
better drummer walking past. But there's something about um, touring and playing in bands and being in studios and stuff like that. And and American musicians call it being a good hang. Mm-hmm. And um, it's like 75% of the, the gig. Yeah, it's yeah, just being somebody yeah. that people don't mind you being around. <laughs> don't get fucked off with yeah, yeah. Yeah, you. Don't, you don't ruffle feathers. And yeah, you can sit in an airport for three hours and, you know... Because you know that's what has to happen. Yeah, yeah. or you can sit in a van or, or yeah, yeah. you know, um, share a hotel room or something like that and you're not going to fuck somebody off. Mm, mm. Um, I mean, the, the music is a big part, of course, but, um, but I think, you know... Yeah, but I mean, you're, you you know, I knew you'd be like this. You're 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 humble to to a fault, I would think, because you, I've watched you play a lot over the years before I ever met you, and then since getting to know you online and meeting you a couple of times, I've I've watched you play again, and there's not a generally not a note out of place, and there's also everything you do you feel and mean, so mm. you know you. You can say that technically there's going to be someone that can run rings around you as a player, but they are not going to be right for the sorts of jobs that you're doing. Yeah. And you bring a, a, a an authority and a a feel and a style to things that is is noticeable. You know. Oh, well, I hope so. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I totally get what you're saying about, um, you know, having having the understanding of everything else that goes into it and having the sort of personality that's not that doesn't get in the way of yeah. either the playing or other personalities and I'm not you know that is a hugely important thing and yeah. obviously that's been a huge part of and Jan Hellregal's another person's name in yeah. terms of you having a long working relationship with um, Jan was an interesting case though we didn't we didn't start in a good place really no no we started in a really <laughs> bad place um, when she did her first album, the It's My Sin yeah, yeah. record, um, she had a band uh, that she'd been playing with for, for a long time. Mm. And they were fantastic. They were an awesome band. That, um, Mark Peterson on guitar and um, who's the drummer, Craig Mason mm-hmm. on drums. And I'd seen them play a few times and they were fantastic. Uh, she got this record deal. Um, she was going to do her first record. And Warner Music got um, J.D. Salva to come over from the States and produce mm. it. Mm. The first thing he did was fire her whole band. Uh, with the exception of Mark Peterson. Mm. Just said, uh, it, it's not going to work. Click tracks and blah, 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 all that sort of crap. And um, sacked them all. So he started getting in all these other session musicians and, um, and my name must have come up somewhere on the list. And, mm whole lot of other people did various tracks and auditions and all that sort of stuff and then I was on tour when all this was happening with somebody else and I, I came back into Auckland and I had a had a, a message saying can you come down to Air Force Studios and try out for this girl mm. Jan Hellrigal and I thought yeah great sounds like fun so I went down there and um, and she just hated me <laughs> <laughs> Because I was which is amazing because I can't imagine Jan hating anyone now, like knowing her and knowing the way she operates. I, that, I just can't imagine that. I think it was just this whole thing of <laughs> you know her, what she had pictured yes. and and the people that she surrounded herself. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. People that she trusted 
personally and musically yeah. um, were suddenly not in the picture. Yeah. And it was well, a bunch of a, possibly a distrust for almost anyone coming in. Absolutely, yeah. and especially for dreaded, you know, session yeah, players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it it was a tense first week <laughs> because uh, I, JD must have liked my playing enough that I, I got the gig. What was he like? Oh, he was great. Yeah, we, we didn't do anything on yeah. those sessions. So we we ate um, French cafe every night. Catered in yeah. the studio, yeah. um, played a lot of pinball and uh, told stories, and uh, but we didn't do a lot of work. Worked on your hand. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> um, there was one night we were we were leaving the studio quite late, and we've been drinking and playing pinball and eating French cafe, and he said, uh, "Right, let's tomorrow. Let's really kick into it. Let's start early." get a big day in and see how much we can get done. We're like, yeah, great, big day. Um, I'm thinking, yeah, try and get down here about 10 in the morning, probably work through to midnight or something like that. He said, uh, let's look at kicking off around four, and we'll break for dinner, and um, try and go to eight or nine. How's that for everybody? <laughs> but lovely guy, yeah. real cool guy. Yeah. Mm. Um, where do you get your when do you start to develop your ear or your ears as a sort of producer engineer behind the you know behind the scenes and behind the sounds kind of guy yeah is um, it from those sorts of situations just being it's from studio sessions yeah yeah and being a part of so many different ones and yeah. watching people like him operate and others watching him um Ian Morris was, mm-hmm. I probably learned more about production from Ian than anybody. Yeah, um, he's kind of the guru really yeah. for that time in New Zealand, isn't he? His yeah. influence is sort of forever felt, yeah. And I, I, I don't mean um, sonically. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I still don't have a lot in common with what Ian had in terms of the sonic part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, although I loved most of what he did. Sure. It wasn't really my bag, but what he taught me was um, was the relationship that you have with musicians and yeah. people in the studio, and and how to make all of that stuff work. And if all of that stuff works, then you'll probably make good music. I, I corresponded with him a little bit, but I never met him. And he's one of those guys that no one has a bad word to say about how he operated. No, you know, like he's a guy who who you know, was able to understand and work with so many different types of personalities. Yeah. And and bring out the best in them. Yeah, he he was the guy who um uh, plus he was a shit hot player, right? Oh, yeah. and talent. Amazing yeah, yeah. amazing yeah. talent. Play yeah. anything. Yeah. Um but it was the things in the studio that he taught me, um doing a doing a track and, and uh and him saying, "Let's try another one. Let, you know, let's yeah. try and get it really tight and and you know all that sort of stuff." So you'd do another take, and you'd go go on to listen to the two takes, and he'd say that second take was perfect in every yeah. way, yeah. perfectly in time, perfect tempo didn't move, um, beautiful playing, it felt solid, and and for that reason, we'll go with the other one. Uh- <laughs> I just have no surprise actually at all that that you feel sort of 
possibly diametrically opposed to some of his ideas with sonics because I remember ages ago saying something to you about um, Beck Runger sway and you said you said you said something like every now and then I'm in the supermarket and, and, I, and I hear that and I just think fuck that bloody snare drum and I'm thinking like you know what's Ian known for the the drums on Game of mm, Love mm. and the stacked the stacked triple saxophone thing and the drums on Gutter Black yeah, and I yeah. imagine they don't aesthetically sit very well with you those sorts of choices even though they are right for those songs yeah yeah so, <laughs> that doesn't surprise me at all yeah <laughs> um yeah, the sway snare drum. Well, <laughs> I mean, we need to talk about Drive because it's just it's oh, yeah, just yeah, been yeah. announced that she's doing the I saw that. twenty year tour, and I think it turned, the album turned twenty last month or mm. something like that. That's a that's an important record for a lot of people. Yeah, an important record for you. Uh, it was. Um, it was because I started working on some of those songs with Beck. Um, in a, in a demo type demo sort of casual producer mm-hmm. role um, so I'd, I'd actually recorded a version of Drive with her which uh, was released as a single mm. uh, which did really well um, and we did a bunch of other demos and, and through those demos in various contexts she ended up signing a, a record deal with Sony um, and, and then we sort of uh, we stopped working together for a little while and she, she had a band um, of young guys who uh, who were all lined up to do that Drive mm. album mm. and I, I think it was going pretty well you know I think it all sounded great and um, and then I was at home one night um, and I got a call from her manager who said um, do you want to come in and play on a couple of tracks on Beck's new record. And I said, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, how many tracks? And he said, oh, 11. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yeah, no problems. Um, send me the songs and I'll have a listen to them. And he said, oh, I won't have time. And I said, well, when do you want to start? And he said, uh, tomorrow morning. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't know what happened um, with the other guys who were doing it, but... Um, yeah, I just ended up in the studio like on a Wednesday morning and... Mm. Um, a sway was cut as I was setting up the drum kit in the in the booth. I, I walked in and sat down and started. Oh yeah, that moved the floor <laughs> yeah. on a little bit, and oh that symbol was pretty high. And all of a sudden, there's a clip track and a track coming through my can, so I started <laughs> playing along with it. And five minutes later, um, Beck said. Um, yeah, that's great. So the next one goes like this. Uh, oh, hang on, hang on a minute. Um, so, yeah, that's how that record was made. <laughs> and, I mean, you, you say the snare sound bugs you, but, I mean, I, I can hear it in my head now just, just referencing that song, and I think it's it's got this... Uh, what's the word? It's got this buoyancy... Yeah, yeah. For the track, yeah. yeah. Otherwise, that song, which is which is a you know one of her signature songs, yeah. With any other kind of sound attached to it, it might have got lost. It might have it might have just meandered more. So yeah. it has this it has this kind of pop to it. Yeah, it's, it's just got, it, it just has a tone about it that yeah. um, 
that I can I can hear it just cuts through everything. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It sort of nails on a blackboard for you. <laughs> yeah, I could sing that drum part to you. It goes mm. tonk, boom, tonk, boom, tonk, <laughs> boom, tonk, boom, tonk, and that's it. Yeah, that's the track. Yeah, yeah. but that tonk, I just hear it. <laughs> around this, around about the same time, you do some stuff on the bike record. Yeah, yeah. A couple of years on from there. Um, yeah, would would have been around that time. Yeah. Um, so that I'm just saying, like, that's an example of like, I, I guess finished product wise, it isn't that different the playing style, but in terms of how those acts are established and where they go, it it's quite different market. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah um, uh, the the tracks on the bike record are a lot busier and. Um, um, yeah, there's a, there's a whole different vibe about it. Um, mm. That it's a great record. It is. It's yeah. a really great record. Yeah. It's um, it's kind of a bit of a lost New Zealand classic. I know. Way, isn't it? I know. Yeah. It, it was really weird. I, I did a tour with um, Steve Kilby from the mm-hmm. church and and um, Ricky May from mm-hmm. um, uh, Jonestown. Jonestown, Brian Jonestown yeah. from Nesca. Yeah. And um, and I introduced myself and and uh, and Ricky said to me. Um, Oh, bike record. He's, you a, play, he's, he's a flying yeah, yeah. fanatic, isn't he? Yeah, I met him briefly. Yeah. One of my all-time favourite records. Yeah. And, and same with um, with Steve Kilby. Yeah. And uh, I hadn't I hadn't listened to that record for years, and I listened to it recently. And it's such a it's a great record. Mm. And Ruffy is what a songwriter. Mm. I can see how that would appeal to Kilby. It's got that that kind of acoustic underpinning thing. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, the the kind of subtle chime. Yeah. To the guitars, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Andrew Bruff was um, amazing. Yeah. Making that record. He, he he knew exactly what he wanted. Yeah. Um, and I found him... I, I loved making that record. Yeah. I, thought, I thought it was amazing. Uh, it feels like it's a busy period for you. Because yeah, I was going to yeah, say, was. shortly after that, that's when, like, what really seems to... Elevate Beck is obviously Drive is hugely successful. Yeah. But next thing she's kind of taken under the the wing of Tim and Dave for this Finringer Dobbin tour, and she's actually by the end of that tour, it feels like she's the real star in a way. Like, yeah. You know. Yeah. Those two guys obviously huge talents, and but th- there was something quite nice about the way that tour rolled out because it, it sort of felt like the making of her as a real star. Yeah, I think so. The, the Dave and Tim. Um, took her under their yeah. under their wing on yeah. on that tour, you know, um, and the, and they very quickly developed these three distinct personalities yeah. on that tour, yeah. which was Be- the, the the newcomer, but uh, this genius singer yeah, songwriter. Yeah. Dave was like um, some sort of Liberace yes. character, you know, the, the playing a clown, and, mm. and Tim was playing like the the stern school teacher, mm. you know, telling mm. Dave off when he should be doing something. And, mm. and it, it was brilliant. It worked so well. Mm. But, you know, play, playing a tour like that, and it's just song after song mm. of amazing yeah, songs. Yeah, it's a, set, are, a set of encores. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that tour was really bizarre. A good story about that was uh, um, we, we got called up for the tour and... and um, and the way it was explained to me was that look, you'll only be playing on maybe two or three songs mm. because Tim's going to play drums and Beck will play yeah. drums, and yeah. they're both fantastic 
dramas. Yeah. Um, they have. Um, do you think they have a slightly similar kind of way of approaching the drums? Yeah, yeah. There's, so a, there's it, a, like rustic, but um, and, and dumb. Yeah, in a really, yeah, yeah. Really sort of, and and, and um, yeah, kind of exploratory and experimental, but also like huge groove. Yeah, huge groove. Yeah. Tim's just got this thing where yeah. that that hi hat is just slightly pushy. Yes, and there's no variation. It just yeah. goes tick 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 tick. I love his playing. And it yeah. just sits perfectly. Yeah. Um, the other great thing about Tim is he's just about the world's best rhythm guitar player mm-hmm. on acoustic. Yeah. He doesn't play anything flash, he just goes chunk, chunk, well, chunk. Well, he's doing what he does on the hi-hat. Exactly, that's <laughs> or exactly vi- what he does. Or vice versa, like it's his guitar style that's translating to yeah. the hi-hat, right? Yeah. And when you play drums with him, it's just like having this massive, great yeah. feeling click track in your ear. You know? Yeah. So, he, yeah, he's great. Mm. But, um, yeah, getting back to that Finn Ring and Dobbin thing, they... They kind of thought that they were going to play the whole show, just the three of them. Yeah. And they would swap instruments and do all of that stuff and get get one of us on if there was something that needed to be covered. Mm-hmm. So I was only planning on playing a bit of percussion and maybe yeah. two or three drum tracks on yeah. the whole thing. We went into rehearsals and they started messing around with a couple of songs and the very first song, you know, we got halfway through it and they were like, oh... Mark, uh, do you want to play a bit of bass on this? So Mark would come in, he'd start playing bass, and as soon as there was bass, it was like, um, yeah, well, maybe, maybe Wayne should play drums on this one? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And by the end of the first couple of rehearsals, we were playing on everything. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was real cool. Yeah. And, um, and this is also the time that, um, I guess, Greg Johnson is really at his kind of commercial peak in a way, too. Yeah. With, uh, with um, Vine Street and then the one that came after that, yeah, with, with I, Liberty and those sorts of songs. Yeah, that that that's kind of with Liberty. Yeah, like, I don't. Did I play on that? I'm not sure I did. I don't know if you did. But, no, but you would have played on the t- on Justin. T- you play. I played on the songs tours on the for it, and yeah. I think I might have played on um, uh, two or three tracks. I remember being in the mm. studio mm. and. Um, I think Andrew McLaren oh, yeah. um, from Stella might yeah. have been playing on that record, and yes, he was. He was playing on that record, and um, I came in and played some double drums mm. things with him on a couple of tracks, but I, I don't think I played on mm. on the record. the The first record I made with Greg would have been um, the one we did with Ian Morris mm-hmm. producing. Um, what was that called? Is that um, the water table one? No. Um, what was it called? Um, sea Bruce. Oh Hotel. yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Oh okay. That was the first one I, ah, right. I did yeah, with them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But you you played with them before that, like Tellwise. I'm sure I saw you on the. Yeah, I'd I'd been playing with them, and then he sacked me because um, because I was playing with Dobbin, and I right. couldn't do a tour, so he yeah. said you're either in or out. And yeah. I said, well, I'm doing this tour with Dave, yeah. so he just sacked me. Yeah. Um, and then. He got me back a few weeks later, <laughs> and I've been there ever since. I want to ask a bit about, I guess, how you manage precisely that sort of stuff, but also, um, uh, and you don't have to be too specific here, but how do you manage, and, and say that particular period, I'm thinking late 90s, where you've got lots of recordings, mm-hmm. and the recordings are all, you know, major label kind of set up, and you've got these tours and, and, and little jumping in and filling in on sessions 
How, how do you manage your, your finances around that and the highs and lows of that? How does that translate to, to things like keeping your own mental health in check? In, ter- um, in terms of, you know, potentially going from being chaotically busy to walking around with your hands in your pockets for a couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've, never, <laughs> I've never had that problem of, of not being busy. Um, yeah. There's something always happens you know something always comes up um that period was very busy but not as busy as say the very early 90s or late 80s with um when the cats away midge marsden uh dobbin um dave mccartney mm. graham brazier but mm. lots of people are touring with all of those people mm. um and we would we would go out on the road for Six weeks. Yeah, that's you the know. big tours, right? Yeah, like twenty, thirty days. Exactly. Yeah. These days, you know, you go on yeah. tour and you fly, Six, you fly to Christchurch and fly yeah. home, and yeah, yeah. you do have four a week or five off days. in between. Exactly. The weekends, yeah. These these were tours. You know, mm, you'd, mm. you'd pack a suitcase and you'd go away, mm. and you get home, and you dump your suitcase in your bedroom, go to bed, and the next day you'd be off with somebody else, and mm. you'd be out for another three or four weeks. You know, um, so. Yeah, I've I've never had a problem with sitting around doing nothing. Something something always comes comes up. in, and and these and days you need your break from things, I suppose. Too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and and these days there's always recording projects because mm. um, I do more production these mm. days and touring. Um, I try try not to tour. I'm sort of <laughs> but bit bored of that. Well, I'm not I'm not bored with it. I I love. I love being on stage with, with a bunch of good players and, and you know those moments where you're playing a song and, and everybody's in the same place and mm. it, it feels great and it, you know you, you can't you just can't describe how that mm. what that feels like mm. you know mm. it's an amazing feeling and that that's what keeps you coming back and doing it but these days um, I, I just I'm too old for uh, Airports mm-hmm. just drive yeah. me fucking insane, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, that whole thing of just checking in bags and <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it just I don't know you've why you've done your time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just hate I hate that stuff, yeah. and um, I, I don't want to to have to. Uh, I it just it, it comes across as sounding you know egotistical or, or something, but I, I think I've just done my time mm, mm. sitting in vans and hotels and airports and and I guess because you've moved into as you say the the more producer sort of yeah. role and also you're doing like you know you're doing TV soundtrack mm. work and stuff that that becomes the new like anything that becomes the new normal so sitting at a desk for a lot longer yeah what, or whatever like a desk version of like yeah. creating music that that becomes more appealing than yeah chasing well, chasing the road stories which 20 years ago was probably a hell of a lot of fun oh it was a yeah. hell of a lot of fun but but these days um it, it's all about the studio mm. for me mm. um and, and it's not the same for other musicians you know i know, mm. I know lots of great musicians who don't like being in the studio but mm. but for me i find it i find there's more freedom and more creativity um 
in the studio than there is live, mm. which is unusual for, you know, mm. live you should be able to yeah, yeah. do whatever you like. But, uh, but I find it kind of quite limiting. I, I, I find um, live gigs make me quite anxious and stuff these yeah. days, whereas the studio just relaxed and what, I love what, it. What's the sort of um, breakthrough or eureka type moment for you in terms of working in the studio when does it fully click and you go I'm, I'm good at this I can do this and you know what's the first sort of success story for you you know and, and just personally not so much commercially yeah or, or it could be both but when does it kind of click into place for you that hey I'm actually pretty good at this and, and I like it and the result is clear I, I, I don't think it ever clicks into place <laughs> for me. Yeah, yeah, that's why you keep doing it. Yeah, but but I, <laughs> but I think for other people it must have clicked into place because I keep on yeah. getting sessions and yeah. stuff, you know. Um, so if a singer-songwriter wants you to play on their album, it means that you must be doing something right. But, um, but in terms of feeling comfortable about playing drums and thinking, I've, mm. I, you know, that... that that's it, I've nailed it, mm. you know, that's a million miles away from me, mm. still, mm. you know, um, yeah, otherwise, otherwise you just stop doing it, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. There, there's always a better drum mm. track just around the corner, the next take is always, ooh, well, could, could that be a bit, you know, a mm. bit better. Mm. Um, Do you focus in on drummers when you're watching music, or do you... Can you tune them out and be excited by anyone else on the stage first and foremost, or do you, do you go straight to the drummer? No, no, I don't. I, I, I go straight to the song. Yeah. And I've always, I've always been a terrible, terrible cover band drummer because you know people will say we're going to do, um, you know, um, name name any song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, name a Led, Ze- a Led Zeppelin song or something like that that everybody should know. Mm, and rock, I think, and rock, rock and roll. Yeah, yeah, and I think I've, I've never actually... <laughs> Learned that, I don't never, know it. Yeah, 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 I don't know it. I've I'll never know listened to the drums. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know the song. Yeah. And I know what the overall thing sounds like, but um, I have no idea what the drums are doing. Yeah, right. And and I've always been like that. It's, it's never been about um, drummers, and I, and I think that... That's why when I list, you know, my favourite players, mm. they're never the guys that, yeah, that are the the, the that, hot guys, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, yes and no. It's like an alternative list, right? The, yeah, the, yeah, the, it is. Yeah, you know, because it's like someone like what's his name, Al Jackson Jr. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone like that. Yes, he's not usually on the top ten, you know, wizards list. Yeah, but there's a whole group of people that know that he's one of the important guys. Absolutely. It's a different style, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a yeah, it's a style thing. But but the players that I've always I've always, you know, admired and tried to emulate and stuff like that have always well, been who, a, I mean I, I can probably guess some of them but and, and but who are some of them that, that you look to? Well there's the, the obvious ones like um, Charlie yeah. and uh, and Ringo. Yeah. Um, Jim Keltner's one that yeah. that I've always you know I've always thought if I could get anywhere near yeah you know emulating what Jim Keltner does and that's because he always plays a song. He's incredible because for many reasons, but one of the things I think is just most extraordinary about him is 
there's a guy you just know he's got all those yeah, fucking yeah, chops. Yeah, you yeah. just about never hear them. Yeah. <laughs> but you know he's got them. Yeah. And when you do hear them, it, that it's just exactly right and just in a little, you know, a little split yeah. second. Yeah. It's never showing off. Uh, a song like uh, Josie off, um, mm. off uh, Asia. Asia. Yeah. Um, there's just a couple of little fills in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the rest of it, yeah. you know, it's, it's pretty straight, and, great and, feel. And so, yeah, I was going to say, it's some of the stuff he's done with, um, like, Ry Cooter and, and yeah. um, mm. you know, uh, what's that, the um, Bring the Family album, John Hyatt. Oh, yeah. You know, that sort of stuff where it's, yeah, just these wonderful laid back, yeah. but rocking feels with yeah. the perfect sort of amount of space. I'm trying to think who it was who said that who was asked who your favourite musician is and um, and you know that question it's it's yeah. generally about Oscar Peterson or yeah, yeah, yeah. one of the mel- melody so, yeah. yeah, and a melody and yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I can't remember who it was but um, they said Jim Keltner yeah just bang like that yeah best musician yeah um, what about Levon oh Levon yeah um, yeah I uh, a lot of Levon has, has seeped in yeah. over the years. Um, I found out pretty quickly on that last waltz tour yeah, yeah, that yeah. we did well, I was last year yes, yeah, yeah. Um, that I, I actually don't play anything like Levon. No, but, um, I noticed that. <laughs> I, no, no, but I, I remember writing something about it um, saying, like, um, I'd never seen you work, look like you were working so hard. Oh, that yeah. particular night I was yeah, working yeah, really yeah, hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First half of that show was, yes. was um, it was just one of those yeah one of those shows. nights just yeah. To, yeah 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 no I've heard that from other people involved in it but but I was quite amazed by that and I sort of mean it as a compliment you know like right, it was right. cool to see you working that hard because you've yeah. always made it look pretty effortless to me and uh, yeah I, it's um it's that thing of when you listen to Levon you just think it it's simple and mm. it's um. And, and you're aware of the feel and all of that sort of stuff. And like I say, a lot of a lot of that has seeped in. You know, mm. I, I, I thought I was taking it on mm. board. And, mm. um, and when we came to do that tour, I thought, well, I'm, I'm not going to copy him mm. because I, I can't copy him. No one can copy Levon. So I'll just trust that enough of his influence is kind of... Yeah, it's um, there as a sort of yeah. statement. It's, it, you know, there's some... Authenticity around you doing it. It's, yeah, it's there. Exactly. You're gonna you're gonna cop it to the best of your abilities, and that most people going to that show are gonna be pretty happy with it. Yeah, well, I I, I hope so because um, it's funny. Know, all, all of those guys, though. I mean, I think like he's probably the most extraordinary of them because then we then you add in the fact that he was fucking singing <laughs> most of the time, most of the time while doing press roles and you know yeah extraordinary fills and, and amazing groups but actually most of those guys really when it comes down to it Ringo, Charlie, Jim Keltner and Levon I mean they are singular players no what you know they have influenced so many people yeah but no one sounds like any of those players really at all that's right um you know people can do Ringoisms there are obviously loads of Beatles tribute bands that get yeah the basic feel but they yeah. don't play like Ringo no they don't play like like Ringo and, and YouTube's full of those guys you know mm. like um, here's a clip of me playing uh, 28 Beatles songs you know all mm, those snippets mm, mm. of Ringo and not one of them no. is even close I agree or well, that one where they get, <laughs> they get all the great 
you know, modern drummers, Dave Grohl and so forth, to sit down with his kit and that guy, Abe Laboreal, that plays with McCartney. Yeah. Yeah, they, none of them have got it right. No. At no. all. They're all, they're all extraordinary players. Yeah. But they don't have yeah. what he had. And, and same with Charlie. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. it, it, there's just a push and pull in yeah. Charlie's playing that, that no one and, can emulate. And no one can get, you know, and I've tried to play some, some of those songs, no one can get the hi-hat thing, you know, no. even though we all know that's sort of the secret to the play, <laughs> yeah. there's just that amazing, like, timing of and placement of it for him. Yeah. No one can quite get that. Yeah. Which is, one to me, one of the great things about drums and watching drummers is that we all have a different, different way of leaning on things, of placing things, yeah. uh, uh, different ideas of time for both good and bad, but just because it's such a physical instrument to manipulate everyone's going to bring something different to the way they do it yeah I, I think that thing with Charlie is that the the hats are, are pushy yeah and then he leaves that gap yeah and the snare drum just falls into that gap just, and it falls in a really lazy place yes, yeah so it's like like um push oh, push yeah. Oh, yeah. push and it's just perfect uh, and there's something very um interesting about his bass drum placement too yeah in that as well you know and and how i guess the real secret to the stone sound is how that locks in with keith or how keith locks in with that absolutely yeah 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 uh one of my heroes yeah is charlie yeah and so who else oh, I, I i went through the whole um gad thing mm. for many years and, mm. and and i'm still a huge fan yeah and again because he he's the guy that You've heard him do amazing, amazing things. Yeah. But then you'll see him play with um, James Taylor mm. or, or Paul Simon. Well, we didn't. Oh, yeah, <laughs> we, right? no. we didn't. Oh. We, we both thought we were going yeah. to, right? Because oh, you did that yeah. tour with, with, with Tammy. Tammy. Yeah. yeah. Um, but a pretty, pretty good replacement. Oh. Pretty, pretty good substitute. Yeah, he was amazing. He was, yeah. he was in, and he was sight reading. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he was incredible. Yeah. Actually, but, in a oh. way, in a way, I think I enjoyed that more than I might have with Gad because I, I, I don't know but I, yeah. I you know I think I might have been a bit too too excited about the idea of seeing Gad so it was pretty amazing to see this guy who obviously you know he's played with Zapper and Steve yeah, yeah. and some pretty yeah. extraordinary players no uh, slouch at all but to see him doing that stuff and, and sort of sight reading uh, those fills on yeah. tracks like Country Road and that yeah, it was incredible but and you had probably a very good view of that. Oh, I did. Yeah, yeah. I stood watching him, but um, uh, yeah, there's some other players mm. in that band just took my attention. Um, that and was James an, Taylor. I that mean, was an amazing um, oh, show. He was incredible. And I thought. I mean, how, I thought Tammy did an extraordinary job opening. Oh yeah, she's. Well, you guys all did. Oh, I mean, she's, she's great. But she's crazily good. That yeah, girl. and it's a good band. Yeah. Yeah. You must enjoy playing with her because you um, sort of, you're you're to her a little bit what um, Chad Wackerman was to James Taylor, right? You're, absolutely. You're, you're sitting in on that. Yeah, yeah, I'm sitting in for Joe McCullum, who's who, great. Um, oh, he's he's an amazing player, and um, and again early on with, with Tammy, I, I I just had to say, look, I'm I'm not Joe. I don't I mm. I can't I just can't do what Joe does. So you're a good um, safe pair of hands though, as a, as a villain. I, yeah, as, I, well I as, hope bringing, so. as well as bringing what you do to it, you know, yeah. you're a good. Yeah, and yeah. I played with Mike Hall, yeah. um, an awful lot. So yeah. he um, he keeps me on the, yeah, you know, on the right. But track. I just think I like 
sometimes it's quite a thankless task being the local support act for for a big name and then take a you know frankly take a place like Hawke's Bay where they can sometimes be a bit difficult as audiences I've found um, I thought you guys all did a, a great job of of you know selling her sound yeah and, and, and it went across well yeah. you know Tammy can um, she's uh, she's pretty terrific right yeah she's the, the real thing yeah. you know you, yeah. you get that thing where you play with artists sometimes and Occasionally, you know, the hair on the back of your neck stands up, and, mm. and you you get those goosebumps and stuff, and you um, and you get that with Tammy. It's just like wow. She also has a real talent with the banter, the charisma, the you know, oh, yeah, the, yeah. as as well. So I think yeah. if you had any, if you listen to the records and went, hey, they're nice enough, but I don't know if I need to see her live. She does, she does bring, and obviously all the players are great, but seeing her live is really what kind of sold it. For me, fully, yeah, yeah, because I like the last couple of records a lot. Yeah, me too. But man, the live show that she does around those now is just brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. really brilliant. Yeah, they'll be getting good now. They're just yeah, doing that big tour yeah. in Europe. So yeah, um, great. So you move into the studio stuff, and you also oh, get yeah. what else? <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll go back to this because we could talk about drum, drummers <laughs> for several hours, and I've got to stop myself from that. But the I'm thinking about what, what we haven't talked about is the TV sort of thing that you did or are doing like the you did the soundtrack for um, the quiz show on oh, um, nothing trivial yeah, yeah. you um, did the music for that didn't you yeah did the music for four seasons yeah. of that um, I'd lo- love to do more of that in yeah. fact you know making making records with people is is the thing I love to do but a very close second is um, I like locking myself in a studio with um with some pictures going on on one mm. monitor and um, my studio setup, and just writing music to pictures, I love doing that. Is it? I mean, I imagine it's quite an insular sort of thing to be doing. Like it is. You, which which is nice, but mm. also uh, intense, and you you live or, live or die by someone else's decision the whole time. Absolutely. You're essentially yeah. making music for someone else's vision for a yeah. start. And then when you get the news, as you as you would have done with nothing trivial, like for you, you'd like to do seventeen seasons of that, even if yeah. they run out of storyline, because you're not responsible for storyline. Yeah, you yeah. enhance it in some way, you add to it, whatever. But so, is it dark days when someone says, "That's gone. That show's gone." Yeah, yeah, it is. And um, because you've been so busy on a show for um, for four years, mm. uh, people tend to forget that you're around. As well, mm. Mm. so it's not a case of um, of just picking up another show because mm. you spend that that long on You're that show and, yeah. and people use You're other not on people. The market. Yeah, yeah it, it's almost like when you're that busy, you need to become busier and say, um, uh, right, I'm going to take on mm. four TV show yeah. soundtracks to do because yeah. you've got to keep yourself in the picture. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to do it more. There, there's something about just sitting down and watching action on a screen and I'd, I'd just generally tend to start with a guitar or, or a piano or something and mm. and just mess around until something sticks mm. you know and, and you can do that for an hour just sitting there mm. playing chords and watching pictures and, and then you'll play something and you go oh 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 that, that mm. works mm. something's working now 
and um, developing in that uh, is just such a cool thing to do. But then it goes through the whole stage of, um, you know, it goes to uh, producers yeah, and yeah, then yeah. Uh, network yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and all that sort of stuff and yeah. then the notes start coming back and saying well can you trim can this, you, trim you this, this yeah, glue yeah. that piece to this piece yeah, yeah, and we, yeah. it needs to be out. more jubilant yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, we love the tempo of this piece but could the whole thing be faster yeah. that sort of stuff and, uh, yeah okay yeah. that's where it becomes stressful and yes. difficult but yeah. the initial creative process is just one of the nicest things to do again do you look to i mean there's so many people doing this sort of stuff now do you look to um specialist composers for influence there or do you have a mind that that tells you to look to people that sort of come from similar backgrounds to yourself like your Ry Cooters and mark nofflers the working musicians who also are soundtrack composers yeah i uh... Or it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter. I don't, I've, find I've never you find it. Yeah, I've never sat down and written a piece of music for for television um, and thought uh, I want it to be I like this. It, it just yeah. ends up becoming something. Yeah. Um, and there are a lot of people doing it now, and and yeah. that's because everyone's got a computer in their bedroom. Yeah, and, and everyone's got to generate income. Yeah, to, yeah. You know, find different ways to. Yeah to use their skills and be involved in music but because I was thinking that like, when I talked to Sean Donnelly I said well before I talked to him for the podcast I said to him one day you know I watched watched one of his shows and I said to him afterwards I've got it all worked out for you you need to be doing more soundtrack work mm. you're you know you're, you would be so good at it yeah you are good at it but you would be so good at it and you know and he said Oh, you know, thanks for the vote of confidence. I, I, I'm trying to. It's just this. It's hard. There's yeah. lots of us doing it, and I, I go for jobs and I miss out, and then mm. I get some. Yeah. And, you know, he's done a couple of really big, high-profile things recently that obviously have, have been good for him, and and he's yeah. done good jobs for them. But there's heaps of you trying to do that. Oh, uh, and and you know, there's a few people out there, um, who was, uh, yeah. No, I'll start that again. There's a few people out there who are doing amazing yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, Sean, Claire yeah. Cow uh, Cowan, who's doing some incredible soundtrack yeah. stuff. Carl and, Stephen. Uh, Carl Stephen, um, Joel Haynes. Yeah. Those guys. Um, yeah. And then, and then there are people like Don McGlashan who can do it amazingly, you know. Too. Absolutely, yeah, Don yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, and that's the thing when, it, when a show. Yeah, yeah, Victoria, oh God, yeah. the list goes on. Yeah, yeah. And so when a show comes up and. and you, you get asked to pitch for yes, it. Yeah. It's like, great, great, I'm going to pitch for yeah. it. And I wonder who else is pitching for it. And yeah. you think, oh, God, it's going to be Carl and Joel and <laughs> Sean and Claire yeah. and Dong and... Um, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Ryan. Yeah. And, and you just think, oh, fuck. Yeah. Um, but, you know, every, everyone everyone approaches it differently. And and, um, and for the most part, I think the soundtracks all, all sound original and, yeah. and good considering the amount of external pressure you is yes. that is applied to you to make yeah. it become something you yeah. know yeah um so yeah Claire Cowan man she mm. oh, she's mm. done some amazing stuff mm. incredible yeah. mm. um so then there's the bads which yeah, is yeah. A, a, a quite a, a long-term project for for everyone involved like it's quite a 
a solidified lineup really now, isn't it? In terms of as a touring unit, it seems to be. Yeah, well, we changed um, bass players recently mm, because mm. Mike Hall's um, he's he just got so many other commitments yeah. and and he's a very busy family man and stuff. Yeah. So so that was sad to see to see Mike bow out mm. um, after so long. But Ben King is now playing yeah. bass with us, and and um, and that's been really exciting. It, yeah. It's different, yeah. you know. It's, yeah. um, it's a slight edge to Ben's playing, and and, mm. um, and he's such a incredible musical brain and a beautiful mm. singer. Mm. Um, so that's been really good. Uh, but yeah, the bands is like a long-term project mm. and a serious project for us. We all mm. we all want it to be great, but we all have to work with other people to to, to, make, yeah, yeah, to yeah. make ends meet. So yeah, of course. You know, it's it's really hard to pull Dave Khan and Brett mm. and myself and Ben and Diane together mm. um, because you know Dave's off with Marlon and Brett's off with everybody and, mm. and you know mm. it's hard to get us together but it's mm. it's worth it when when we are together. well it's been you know i just feel like what there are four albums now and yeah they're all very good they're all they all have their own flavor yeah and you know it never sounds like the band's repeated itself there's quite logically progressive steps yeah that are being followed there each album seems to be Improving on the sound in some way, or yeah, I think know, the just, new ones, yeah, new ones, pretty, pretty damn cool. I, and I think Ben Edwards had a lot to do with that. Yeah, in that, um, it was nice to be. Um, it was nice to be told by somebody you're a bit shit. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. You know, did he do that? Yeah, absolutely. Because um, he's because he's really clever like he's really got yeah something happening in what he does that w- has worked so well across a bunch of yeah very good people he's making a lot of very good people sound i guess even better yeah right? yeah would be, um, yeah yeah i think so and, and and with a band like the bands you know you get so how, how like, did he tell you how did he do you mean he told you personally or the band uh, oh the band or, or everyone <laughs> yeah everybody there was yeah. there were there was no um uh, bowing down to the fact that you were talking to Brett, mm-hmm. for example, you know, he's one of the best guitar players you'll see yeah. anywhere in anywhere. the world. Yeah, yeah, he's you know, terrific. And, and sometimes, um, sometimes I, I get this feeling with myself that the people, you know, I go into the studio and do a, do a session, and basically people just trust me to go, um, yeah, that's a good track, or, yeah, yeah, or yeah. I know I'll go in and fix this up, and and I just sort of make my own decisions and. And for years, nobody's really told me, um, no, that's not very good. Mm, mm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and with Ben, um, and, and Dave Kahn is, is a good example of that. He he always says to me, you know, I'd rather somebody said, that was shit, don't do that. Yeah. Then I know that I don't, that I won't do that. Because mm. if I just do stuff that nobody says anything about, I don't know whether it's right or wrong. So mm. if somebody says, don't do that. That's a good thing. Yeah. And and so for the first time, I think the bads went into the studio and we had somebody going, um, yeah, it sounds a bit ordinary. Or, um, uh, yeah, a bit more energy in that, you know. Um, or, like, yeah, that sounds like 70s um, prog rock or something. Yeah, yeah. It's like, um, so, it was, yeah, just good to be challenged yeah. a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's on the immediate sort of, 
cards and horizon and and immediate future what's uh i'm um uh we've just finished a beds tour so uh i'm back in the studio at the moment working on um jan hellrigal's oh, yeah, new yeah, album yeah. and we've tracked tracked half the album mm. uh and it's um it's going great cool yeah real cool songs and the la- i mean the um album she put out that was the kind of all grown up this yeah, yeah. comeback album mm. you're quite involved in that and that you know i think again for a lot of people that was quite a special record yeah yeah um yeah i produced that record and mm. um i didn't play drums on it i've got nick gaffney to play it, yeah. because you know if you're going to get a good drummer you'll get nick gaffney why yeah. not yeah yeah um but uh, yeah, producing that record was was great. And, yeah, it and was quite an all-star lineup. Yeah, it yeah. was a yeah. real good lineup. Yeah, um, and I think we made a great record. But this record is different. Um, oh, you know, when I when I say it's different, the thing about Jan is, you know, you make these plans about songs. You she'll say something like, oh, I think this is. This is my Burt Bacharach song, and mm. this is my Lady Gaga song, and this this is pop, and this is mm. you know. And she can hear the stuff in her head. Yeah. But when you make when you start recording and you make a record, everything just comes out sounding like her. Mm. And isn't that what an artist wants to be? Yeah, to have their voice. Like, yeah, to, to have their to, voice. To have it acknowledged as their voice. Too. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't matter where you sort of steer these tracks; they come back to just sounding like like tracks that Jan would do. Last year she came down to Wellington and did this little showcase yeah, thing yeah. In, a, in, a, in a little bar where she got up and played solo piano for half an hour and yeah. played all new songs and some of them were very much, I guess, unfinished. Sketches, yeah. Sketches, yeah, exactly. And it was so cool. Yeah. And I loved that she had the, I was going to say that she had the, well it was a bravery, she would probably say that she was really nervous about it, but she had the bravery to do things like in the middle of a song, just say, I think this is going to be a horn line and it's going to go like this and she would sort of yeah, hum it yeah. and play, play some yeah. things underneath and you could hear it. You yeah. Could go, yeah, I can see how that's going to yeah. going to work as a tr- nice trumpet line or whatever, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was really cool. Well, it's, it, yeah, it's interesting tying up what we were talking about about mm. two hours ago about, mm. um, <laughs> about Jan and how we didn't get on when we first started yeah. working. And I think a lot of that was... was coming from me um, because she would say these things that I didn't understand mm. um, and over the years working with her and I've tried to take this on with everybody that I work with is that when somebody says something to you that sounds ridiculous yeah. and you don't understand it it's not their problem it's, it's your problem yes, you've got to, so yeah. you know that's the whole thing is like when she says I want it to be uh, something ridiculously, you know, abstract. Um, I need to go. What? What's she hearing in mm. her head? What? She's, mm. What is she trying to tell me? Mm. You know, instead of just going, no, 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 no. Like uh, the, all those great stories, like Frank Zappa saying to Steve, "I, I want your guitar tone to be like an electric ham sandwich." Yeah, you yeah. Know, and Vi just playing something straight away yeah. and Zappa going, yep, that's it, that's, that's exactly it. it, keep it like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so it's about, but it's about learning to, yeah, understand 
the language that people are using, what it means to them. That's right. Yeah, how you can help them translate that. Because with Jan, and Jan especially, there's something going on in her head. And I've made enough records with her and her, mm. her genius, her particular mm. genius, that I know there's something going on there that she can hear, but she probably just can't quite communicate it. And, and, and going back to a production thing, that is what production's all about. Well, I was thinking like that song on the on the um, All Grown Up record, which I think is really special, that one, He's Gone. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I was thinking about that the other day, how that's almost like a Nina Simone song. Yeah. Like you could almost imagine, you yeah. know, and and it's essentially just the solo piano and voice treatment. Yeah. And so is that a case of... Um, trying that in a few different ways or did it did it just sit logically like that from demo form i i think that song sat logically like yeah. that from demo form and eddie rayner played piano mm, on that yeah. and they did it live um and you get a performance like that and you just think oh, i'm not going to dress this up yeah. anymore you know it, yeah. it, it is what it is and does it affect you? Yes, it does. Mm. It's finished, you mm. know. Um, and the last track on that album, uh, with yeah. the sort of goes it goes full Beatles. Yeah, yeah. Towards the end. Yeah, that was yeah. That's was, pretty cool. Yeah, it, it, it was fun to do. Um, yeah. I did I did all that uh, choir yeah. arrangement stuff in in my uh, my little studio. Just um, did yeah. did all the parts and. Um, sung them, recorded them and then gave them to the choir um, who were all amazing mm, amazing mm, singers mm. Um, and they just took all those parts and made them mm. into something that no worked. that's cool, yeah. I like that so that's exciting working on her new thing yeah, yeah yeah, looking forward to that Yeah, and and I've got various uh, album projects on, on the go um, coming up and and a bunch of live gigs, strangely. Yes, there's, yeah. there's a, a few different things. Um, a couple of kind of secret things that I, I can't mention at the moment. Yeah, but, um, yeah, yeah. it's exciting. Yeah. And, and I have a day job these days too. So, yeah. um, you know. Do you want to talk a bit about that? Or do you want to keep that quiet? Oh. I mean, it's only in that it's relevant to what oh, you're yeah, doing. Yeah, it, it's, it's a day job that is music, but... Um, uh, it's the licensing side of music, mm -hmm. so um, I have a job as a music supervisor, so I, I license mm -hmm. um, music for films and TV and yeah. ads and all that sort yeah. of stuff. Um, and it's almost more maths than music in a lot of ways, oh, right? Absolutely. Uh, you know, every yeah. time you mention <laughs> that job to somebody, they, yeah. they go, oh, wow, what a I great job. job. Yeah. Yeah, 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 Man, I love movies so much. Yeah. I could watch movies all day and think, oh, this song could go yeah. with that scene, and you think... That's, yeah, that'd be that's great. The, I'd love to do that too. That's not really what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. it's um, it's it's really uh, you know, it's kind of complicated, and it's clearing copyrights yeah, and and, yeah, um, yeah. and getting fees paid and and doing contractual work and stuff like that. Yeah. Um. So a lot of it's paperwork and and highly boring and horrible. But um, but the the thing I love most about it is that when my desk is piled high with contracts yeah um all of those contracts mean that, that you know there's a songwriter somewhere getting Give paid something. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, and 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 the way the music industry is these days syncing music with mm. 
um, with film or whatever is is a big part of musicians' incomes, mm. and so yeah, I, I, there's nothing better in a, in a busy day than calling somebody up and saying, look, you know, do you want to make yeah sixty grand? <laughs> what's, yeah, yeah. What's your um, what's your what's your sort of um, exit strategy for music? You don't have one. You don't need one. I don't, you don't worry but, about whether you need one. Um, no, uh, my exit strategy doesn't really come into it because I, I need to keep working. I'm yeah. I'm not one of those people who can retire. No, you know I've I've got to keep working. But at the same time, recently, I I, I think more and more. I think every day about not doing it. Um, mm. and and that's not the studio thing. The, mm. the studio thing I'll, I'll keep going. You mean not performing? Yeah, not performing. Not not and maybe not playing drums. Mm. Um, I don't know. Every day I think about that. Um, so there's something there. And, and funnily enough, I, I was talking to a friend um, about it. And and most people say to you, "Oh no, you can't give up. You yeah. know, you know, that would be terrible." Yeah. You know? um, she said. Uh, you know what you've been doing it for 40 something years yeah. um, most people have been doing a job for 40 years of thinking of another career yeah and I thought yeah yeah that's true it, yeah. it's not that I don't love playing drums I just yeah, yeah. No, I, I, have, I understand that I have that thought most days about um, you know writing reviews and stuff yeah, I, yeah. I'm quite happy to not ever write I'm sure there's loads of people be happy for me to not write a review too but I'm <laughs> I'm quite happy to not do it yeah. and then funnily enough and I'm sure you're probably the, a little bit the same here having having that thought and processing that is sometimes a bit of a re-entry into doing it you it know it's like because I, I had a real block earlier this year where I went you know is there any point in doing mm-hmm. album reviews I'm going to write anything else yeah. I'm going to I'm going to definitely write about music but the traditional album review doesn't really need to exist anymore and I don't know what I'm doing with it and then after a few months of hardly doing them I sort of found a way back into you know and in the and the most of the record reviews I've written this year I I I guess I've been more pleased with than some of the other ones because mm-hmm. I've taken my time to think about yeah. how I want to go about it so and and I've recognized that I am doing them as much for me as anyone else yeah you know? that's the whole thing yeah so I, I could imagine it's a bit like that with with your playing with having that thought I don't need to do this anymore it's a bit of a way of giving yourself a fresh approach yeah yeah I I, I think I I want to keep playing because I want to keep making good records yeah but in terms of playing live gigs and mm. you know all that side of it I, I'm, I'm just not sure whether I have when I'm on stage playing, yeah, it's all still there. Yeah, I, still, yeah. I still do everything that I possibly can yeah. to make a song work on yep. stage. I, yep. And and when it does, like I said before, best thing in the world. Yeah. But the rest of it, I'm not sure I want to do that anymore. <laughs> Yeah, I draw the line If I'm not yours 